Hey, so this morning we are diving back into this series that we are calling Encounters with King Jesus. And, and the purpose of this entire series is to allow you to see exactly what we've been singing about this morning, to allow you to see with clarity who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is doing even in the here and now. And I mentioned this two weeks ago that, that these Sunday morning conversations are coming directly out of the scriptures, but, but please know that we are the teaching pastors that are guiding these conversations on a Sunday morning are, are looking to this book by Tim Keller. It's an absolutely brilliant book called Encounters with Jesus to allow us to help us all better see how our scriptures point to Jesus. How are our, our scriptures that we look at across these Sunday mornings lift Jesus high? And so as we began this series some two weeks ago, we looked at Christ's encounter with one of his closest followers, Nathaniel, in John chapter 1. And we saw that Jesus answers life's deepest questions. And then last week we saw Jesus encounter the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and then Nicodemus in John chapter 3 where where Jesus offers these two very different people. He offers them exactly the same thing. He offers them life. The forever life that is found by accepting Jesus as, as your Lord and Savior and then this new kind of life that is available in the here and now, a rich and satisfying kind of life. But if we, if we take a step back for a moment, what is it that gives Jesus the ability to make these bold, these radical kind of claims? To Nathaniel, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the answer to life's deepest questions. To, to the Samaritan woman, to Nicodemus, Jesus says, I am the one who can give you life. What gives Jesus the ability to make these bold and radical kind of claims? It's exactly what we're going to look at today as we we gather around our scripture in in John chapter 11 this morning where where Jesus encounters two sisters, Martha and Mary, whose whose brother has died. And before we jump into our scripture, like usual, I've got an assignment for you. As we read, I want you to look to the answer for these two questions. The first is this, as Jesus encounters Martha and then Mary, What's the same in these two encounters? There's this one primary thing that's the same. What is that? And then my second question is, what's different in these two encounters? Right, so this is what you're going to look for as we read this morning. Rob Sprouse is going to read for us. Rob, let's read. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? 
Yes, Lord, she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? he asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? But some said, This man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled a stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. So if we hop back to our questions, this very first one is Jesus encounters Martha and then Mary. What's the same in these two encounters? There's this one primary thing. Did you catch it? Yeah, right. So there, there, there's this deep belief, right? But before we get to that belief, because I'm looking for something else, right? So there's probably a couple things here that are the same. Let me give you a hint to, to, to kind of direct you to what I'm, what I'm gunning for. Can I see that next slide? Right? It's verse 21 and verse 32. Right? There is, is this, this expression from both of these women, that the starting point in both of their conversations, both of their encounters with Jesus, right, there's this expression of, Jesus, if only you had been here. How about the second question? What's different in these two encounters? Pretty much everything else. Martha goes, Mary stays. Martha's got this incredible, this is what I believe to be true kind of response. Mary simply cries. Jesus engages Martha in conversation with Mary. The scriptures say that Jesus is is deeply troubled, that, that Jesus actually cries with Mary. Right? So so this is important for us. Don't miss this. We've got the same starting point in both of these conversations, but two very different responses from Jesus. Why is that? What is Jesus revealing about himself in these two very different ways that he responds to these two sisters? 
Let's, let's look at Martha's response first, right? So here's how, here's how Martha starts it. If we jump back to verse 21 here in chapter 11, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. That's the starting point for this conversation. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. It's almost as if Martha is giving to Jesus the Sunday school answer here. And she absolutely believes what she is saying, right? This is a very clear statement about who Jesus is. But when faced with the reality of opening that empty grave, Verse 39, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? When faced with the reality of pulling open the grave, Martha's Sunday school answer comes up short. It's almost as if she's saying, Jesus, I'm with you in my head, but really, we're doing this? We're opening the grave. I'm with you in my head, but you're, act, you're asking me to act on that belief, and I'm not sure that I can do that. And it's there that Jesus says to her, Martha, we're moving past the Sunday school answers here. I need for you to trust me and allow that trust to impact and bear on, on how you actually live your life. Right, your, your head belief has got, to, has got to impact and play out in the real world. Jesus is saying, Martha, I'm telling you, and I am about to show you that I am your hope. I am the resurrection. Martha, I am life. Jesus is making some super bold claims here, and it takes us back to a couple of verses that we looked at just two weeks ago coming out of John chapter 1. There in verse 1, it says, In the beginning the word Jesus already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus is confronting Martha with The fact that that creation power is in his hands, the power over life and death are are within his power, that he is fully God. Yet with Mary, Jesus is very different in his approach with her, and he enters into her grief, he feels her pain, He, he does not confront in the way that he does with Martha, but Jesus actually cries with Mary, and again, this takes us back to something that you and I saw together two weeks ago, coming again out of John chapter 1, this time verse 14. So the word Jesus became human. And made his home among us, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus, by entering into Mary's grief, is consoling Mary with the fact that that pain and sorrow are not foreign to him. 
Jesus here in his encounter with Mary is showing that he is fully human. So so Jesus in these two encounters that happen side by side, he's demonstrating that he is fully God, fully man at the same time. And this is like no other claim that's out there. The fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man is unlike any other religious or belief option that is out there. And because of, of the uniqueness of this claim, and Tim Keller makes this point, you cannot simply dismiss what Jesus is claiming here as an interesting perspective. Or, hey, this is a thoughtful idea. Or, hey, what Jesus is saying here is, is bottom line, the same thing that all the other religions teach. No, Christ's claim to be fully God as he is showing to Martha and, and, and showing to Mary that he is fully human, Christ's claims here are so unique and so bold that you have to either embrace the claims of Jesus to be true or dismiss those claims outright as horrible lies, as deceitful, as utter arrogance, as delusional, all bad things. And that requires you to reject the claims of Jesus as false. Those are your two options. There is no middle ground here. There can't be any middle ground. What Jesus is claiming in this passage is so unique and so strong and so bold and so radical that you cannot casually dismiss this. Here's a quote that Tim Keller makes in his book that that describes what Jesus is saying about himself here. Keller writes, Historical scholarship shows us that after his death, a fast-growing body of people, insisting that they were faithful to Jewish monotheism, nonetheless began to worship Jesus as the one true God. What kind of life must Jesus have led to accomplish what no other person in history had ever done? Convince more than a tiny percentage of unbalanced people that he is the creator and judge of the universe. What kind of person must Jesus have been to overcome the profound resistance of Jews to such preposterous claims? The answer is he would have been like the incredibly beautiful human being depicted throughout the New Testament, and we see a stunning portrait of him here. When Jesus meets Martha, we indeed get a glimpse of his deity and power. He's God. But that doesn't explain the totality of who he is. The very next moment, he breaks down sobbing beneath the weight of Mary's grief and in the shadow of the grave. You would think that if a person were really divine, he wouldn't be that emotionally exposed, but he is. He is God, but also absolutely and totally human. Now, no other religion agrees with this. No, other, no religion other than Christianity believes that the transcendent creator, the author of life, became a weak, limited mortal who felt the full horror of death. But look at the story. Watch how he actually responds to these two women, and you may see that if you can get your mind around the idea of a divine yet human person, it's exactly what you most need. 
So as we look at our story this morning, what is it that you need most? And I'm asking this to you personally. What is it that you need most? There's a couple things we can pull out of this story. Because of who Jesus is, he can give you exactly what you need in your pain. In this encounter, Martha needs a wake-up call. right? Martha needs to be reminded that life with God is more than having the right answers. It's, it's more than head belief. It's more than, than right facts. Martha needs to experience the power and hope of Jesus in her here and now. Martha needs to experience the power of God who conquers the grave. In this encounter, Mary, most of all, needs to know the compassion and the tenderness and the presence of Christ in a very real way, in her here and now. And Jesus gives to both of these women exactly what they need, and in this, there is hope for you. There is power and hope and compassion and tenderness and presence in Jesus and through Jesus. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Because of who Jesus is, He roars with rage against death. Verse 33 says it this way. It's also in verse 38. When Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. What or who is Jesus angry at here? I submit to you, he's not angry with Mary. He's not angry with Martha. He's not angry with the mourners, but rather Jesus roars with rage. And that's literally how how that phrase deep anger is rendered in the original language. Jesus roars with rage against the pain and the loss and the death of his friend Lazarus. Jesus roars with rage against the things that that bring you tears, that breaks your heart, the very sharp edges of this very broken world. And there is great comfort here. It's not just that Jesus is meeting these women in their pain. It's not just that Jesus is comforting these two women Jesus roars with rage against the things out to destroy mankind, the things out to destroy you. Death and sin and evil and the brokenness of this very fallen world. These days I hear some pushback against this idea of God being angry, but you want You need a God who roars with rage against the things that hurt his children. You need a God who roars with rage against the things that hurt you. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Because of who Jesus is, he knows that that Lazarus is Life is going to cost his own. 
We ended our reading this morning in verse 44, but if you go on in chapter 11, the rest of that chapter details how from, from, from this time on, right, the Jewish leadership is so scandalized by what Jesus is doing here that, that they begin to plot Christ's death. So not only is there direct blowback from this encounter that we see here that leads to Jesus' own death, his crucifixion, a short time later, but the resurrection promises that Jesus makes to Martha. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die That resurrection promise that Jesus makes, that resurrection promise is available to you only because Jesus gives up his own life to secure that resurrection reality for all who trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Maybe that's what you need this morning. Because of who Jesus is, He demonstrates just how very much he loves you. This resurrection life that is promised in this story is going to cost Jesus his own life. Jesus willingly goes into the grave so that you can walk out of the grave. That is unlike any other kind of love that you will encounter in this life. That is the definition of unconditional love. Maybe that's what you need this morning. If we go back to something that we said just a few moments ago, if Christ's claims in these stories cannot be casually dismissed, if these claims are true, then it absolutely follows that Christ's radical power and radical love for you demand nothing short of a radical response from you. I'm going to say that again. Christ's radical power and radical love for you demand nothing short of a radical response from you. But here's the thing. If we flip this phrase around, you can say it this way. That your response to Jesus will not be radical. Your response to Jesus will not be all of life encompassing. Your response to Jesus will be casual. Your response to Jesus will be dismissive. Your response to Jesus will will be to put Christ into a compartmentalized corner of your life unless you allow yourself an up-close, front-row, in-your-face grasp of Christ's power and love for you. The longer that I do this pastor thing, the more clearly I can see that all of this life distills down to your ability to see, to really see, the love and the power that Jesus has for you. And so the last question that I want to leave you with this morning is simply this. How will you encounter Christ's radical power and love for you. Yesterday I was running with a friend and we had this same conversation. 
around this question. And really the idea was, what's the plan? What's the plan? If I want to go from eating potato chips on my couch to running a 10K, I need a plan. If I go to the gym and say, hey, I want to bulk up, they're going to put me in touch with a trainer who's going to put me on a plan. If I want to learn a foreign language, I need a plan. If I'm in school, be that high school or college, I just don't willy-nilly jump into classes, but I go to guidance and they put me on a plan. If I want to retire, guess what I need? A plan. I wonder how many of us have a plan when it comes to our spiritual life. Because for pretty much everything else in life, you have to have a plan. The, The New Testament is full of people who are getting themselves in front of Jesus. People who are, are, are engaging Jesus. People who are crying out to Jesus. What is your plan to get yourself in front of Jesus? To engage Jesus? To cry out to Jesus? How will you encounter Christ's radical power and love for you? What is your plan? Let's pray. Father, this morning... My prayer in this for us as individuals, my prayer in this for us as a church is that because of of who your son Jesus is revealing himself to be in this encounter with Martha and Mary, because of who Jesus is revealing himself to be, my prayer is that we will come to realize more and more and more and more that we have been shaped for so much more than a convenient business as usual, less than radical response to the deepest love and power and hope and grace and mercy and freedom that your son Jesus offers to us. We pray all these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior.